You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So my first point is this, God is equipping us, he's prepping us to do his work. Do you believe that? God is prepping us, he's equipping us to do his work. If you believe it, say amen. Okay, so this chapter is really just a setup for the story that we'll hear and that we'll read in the next. Here, Joseph, he interprets the dream of the cupbearer and the baker, and as a result, in the next chapter, we find that Joseph was given the charge of interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. And then being richly rewarded by being placed in a very high position in Egypt. Now, it doesn't seem like Joseph was expecting this reward or to be placed as a number two position in Egypt. In fact, there's no indication that he had any type of aspiration. I don't think he was thinking, okay, now I'm sent to Egypt and my goal is to really become as successful and influential and powerful as I can be. I don't think there's anything like that. In fact, um, we know that there's no mention of that in Scripture, but nonetheless, This chapter and the chapters way before that really just signified the difficulty of Joseph's journey to the eventual promised uh, position of being number two. But he faced a lot of obscurity. He faced a lot of challenges, didn't he? Now, Joseph faced on that road to this position of that high office um, a lot of challenges. I think some of us may be able to relate with, but... Let me give you an example. In any sports movie you watch, you will always see, oh, there will always be some sort of inspirational speech, right? By the coach, by the team captain. I mean, if you watch even Braveheart, a war movie, there's always that general, commander, who will kind of run through the ranks and, and say, guys, you can do this, and Braveheart, and whatever, right? And all that stuff. Um, and so this isn't really anything new for us. It's always typical, On the road to greatness, it takes a lot of hard work. I remember back in my early glory days as a high school athlete, my coach would always say things like, you know, before a game or during, uh, right before the game, he'd say, guys, one game at a time. Don't focus and don't be distracted by districts or regionals or state championship. It's about beating the team today, one game at a time. And we're like, yes. You know, we're like whooping and giving each other high fives like a bunch of Neanderthals. Right? We're like, yes. I mean, he'd egg us on and encourage us. And then, and then he'd say, remember, offense, win, offense wins games, but defense wins championships. And then we'll be like, what does that even mean? And why would you say that? Because he's told us not to even think about championships. And now you're saying that. And it was such a confusing moment. But we know that there's a road to greatness. It takes hard work. Yes. It's kind of like a musician doing weddings and bar mitzvahs, paying his dues until he lands a big recording deal contract. Or it's kind of like, it reminds me of like Tim Tebow working in minor leagues right now. But it's like a baseball player working hard at his game, working hard in the minor leagues until he gets called up to the majors and he becomes this amazing star. So I think, is that what Joseph faced here? Is his life in, in the previous chapters, is it all just kind of this, him paying due, his dues? Was he someone who was on the normal road to success and greatness? I don't think so. Because when you think of Joseph, 
We're thinking about a faithful servant of God who is suffering every kind of possible rejection and humiliation until there appears really no hope left. That was Joseph's life, just suffering and hitting the grind and going and going. I mean, this guy, he was hated by his brothers, you know that? They plot to kill him, but then they said, you know, we'll settle to just settle by selling him off into slavery. Then at the age of 17, he was ripped off away from his home. He was removed from the promised land, and he was taken to the foreign land of Egypt. And there he would work hard, and he would do his best and bring prosperity to his master, which he was later betrayed and framed by the master's wife. And even though he had diligently kept himself from sin, he was still accused, judged guilty, and then thrown into prison. And even though he distinguished himself in prison, he was put in charge of two prominent, very prominent prisoners from the king's court. And even as he helps one of them, when that man is released, he forgets all about Joseph and his help. See, doing good, being faithful, serving others, helping people, living with integrity, and yet somehow for Joseph, the rabbit hole just gets deeper and deeper. It just gets darker and bleaker. He might as well have cried out the words of Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Joseph, it wasn't getting better. In this desperation, in this humiliation, Joseph still somehow, by God's grace, remained faithful. Even though he couldn't really see what God was doing. Even though he didn't know what God was planning. God was still equipping Joseph for something great. Because it was God who was controlling the circumstances. It was God who was controlling Joseph to the point where he was placing Joseph at the right place at the right time. It was God who was teaching Joseph patience. It was God who was teaching Joseph perseverance. It was God who was sanctifying him out of the bitterness and potential vengeance he had in his heart. It was God who was teaching Joseph to trust in God more. And even despite the uncertainties of the future, God, he knew, and Joseph knew somehow by his faith that God would reveal what he had to reveal when he had to reveal it. And so when I reflected upon this passage, it was hard not to see the similarities from the trouble that Apostle Paul spoke from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me read it real quick, okay? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Amen. Did you get what he said? He said, God, get this, God allowed me to encounter trouble. God allowed me to encounter suffering, and then he comforted me in that suffering. And why? For your benefit. You get that? In my suffering, God comforted me for your benefit that I might have comfort to give you in your suffering. And folks, we are called to comfort those in suffering because we have been also comforted from those who have suffered before us. Didn't you have someone who encouraged you during your dark times? 
Didn't you have someone who may have, you may not know, but have prayed for you during your trials and tribulations? In other words, Paul says, God has been using my trouble to equip you to, so, that, so that I can serve you. Look, maybe some of you guys have been living a fairly comfortable life with no major hurdles. So your life has been quite textbook in that there's, it's been somewhat predictable. But I want to warn you guys right now, and all of us here, don't you suppose that there might be a Genesis chapter 40 in your life one day? Huh? Don't you suppose that there might be a Genesis chapter 40 in your life one day? Look, we know that this is how God dealt with Joseph. This is, we know that this is how God dealt with Apostle Paul and a host of other saints in Scripture. So I think it's important that we understand that God not just might, but that he will deal with us the same way because God is in the business of transforming us and sanctifying us and refining us. God, he allows trouble into our lives, and here's the thing. Sometimes it seems like senseless trouble. It's so random. It comes from left field. It seems like senseless suffering. It seems like senseless broken relationships, senseless tragedies. But God, he allows these troubles into our lives. But as he does so, he holds on to us. Praise God. As these troubles enter our lives, he holds on to us. And, he, and God, he walks us through those terrible times. And why? Because just like the saints of old, so that we might be better equipped to serve him by serving each other. You get that? Let me ask you a real question right now. Have you ever wept with those who weep? Have you cried out with those who are crying out? Have you mourned? Have you actually mourned with those who have mourned? Has your heart broke for those whose hearts have been broken? You see, to be compassionate, that word compassionate means to suffer with. Have you suffered with someone along their journey? Because just throwing money at them, throwing some advice at them, throwing Bible verses at them, hoping that it will act like some sort of spiritual painkiller is not what God wants from his followers. Anyone can do that. Because to weep with those who weep and suffer with those who suffer is, get this, the best way to gain practical experience in trusting in him because trust can't just come from a book knowledge of his promises. Trust comes from you experiencing the reality of his promises in this broken world. And to do that, you have to understand your pain and help those who are in theirs. If you are going through difficulty today, if you have been going through difficulty for quite some time, the Lord, he encourages us in this. He says, don't despise these days of trouble, people. Don't despise these days of suffering. Don't even despise, don't hate these days of humiliation because it is here. It is in the throes of your despair and throes of your anguish and the throes of painful conflict relationships that you are actually sitting in God's classroom because he's doing something. He's teaching us something and he's instructing us. You see, it is in this moment in this moment in your life that God, he is comforting your pain whether you know it or not. He is guiding us in our confusion whether you know it or not. He is protecting us from further darkness whether you know it or not. Why? Because God is using this time to build you up. 
He is wanting to build you up. He does not want you to stay the way you are. He wants to build you up for his purposes, for his people, and for your ultimate journey in becoming more like Jesus. Do you want that? Let's talk about the cupbearer and baker and their dreams. And this goes to my second point. Only God reveals the mysteries in life. Only God reveals the mysteries of life. So here's a little context for us today. Throughout the ancient Near East, dreams were valued as a way to really understand and grasp and discern the future, if that even makes sense at all. So like a king, a king would have a financial advisor, he would have a military advisor, he would have a whatever advisor, but you know what, he would also have a dream advisor. In fact, he'd have a whole team of dream advisors. In ancient Egypt, there is actual papyrus documentation of dreams and the significance of their meanings. So for instance, and I kid you not, when you dream of a white piece of bread, that signifies you will receive prosperity and success. Has anyone ever dreamed of Wonder Bread? Likewise, he said, if you dream, and in your dream, you receive pain in your side. That signifies that you will have loss of possession, and so on and so forth. In other words, ancient dream advisors, they had a dream interpretation manual. Because for them, it was science. For them, it was science. Now, we laugh, but really our culture is, no, is not so different when it comes to wanting to know about the future. That's why we have people who are so deeply invested in the horoscopes, and maybe you're like, I don't do that. Come on. I don't buy that anymore. But I'm willing to bet some of us here are quite superstitious. Quite superstitious. In fact, as far back as I can remember, I always grew out my facial hair during exam times. Right? Did anyone do that? Well, obviously for the guys, at least. And I did it for two reasons. One was partly to show show the world how miserable I was. And so looking unkempt, I, I think, helped accomplish that. But secondly, it was really kind of simple. It was just a ritual. Not that I believed I got better grades. I don't think I got better grades because of that. But it was just something I did. Now, maybe some of you guys are into the Chinese zodiac. And, and I say that because a lot of you are Asians. And honestly, that's something that a lot of people buy into. I am considered a dog in my Chinese zodiac which means that I need, I need to avoid a dragon, which happens to be my brother. <laughs> and so you, and they says, you are destined to fight for eternity. I'm like, oh, that explains why I beat you up incessantly, Danny. Well, this year apparently is not just the year of the rooster, it's the year of the fire rooster. What does that mean? I don't know. Maybe we'll eat more poultry this year. But there are people who swear by it. And again, we laugh. But we have professionals who attempt to explain what's happening. We have psychiatric professionals who attempt to explain what's happening in our psyche to account for some weird dream that we had the other day. So our lives, our world is just inundated with all these so-called experts of our dreams, of the unseen, of our, even our future. But that's why this verse here makes this so powerful. Verse 8, they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? What's Joseph saying here? He's saying that interpretation of dreams, it's neither science 
nor is it magic. The man to whom God reveals his secrets alone can interpret them. We can't just interpret based on conjecture. I had this dream. It might mean this or it might mean that. I had this vision. It might mean this or it might mean that. It is only the way of God in his grace that he will allow his servant to know his mind. It is only by the grace of God that he will allow a servant of his to know his heart. In fact, that's what Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar centuries later. Nebuchadnezzar had come to really distrust his team expert dream advisors. And when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he tested his advice by saying, Hey, you know what? Don't just interpret the dream for me, but first tell me what was the dream. Oh, he called them out on their bluff. Daniel comes up and he says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Did you get that? What did prophet Daniel say? He said, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Now hear me out, folks. I am willing to bet that many, if not all of you, have at one point or another had a dream. And it wasn't just a typical dream. It wasn't just a dream that you've had before. The dream was shocking. The dream felt real. The dream felt like, an, felt like a warning. And you woke up from that day, from that evening, from that dream with a heavy heart. You felt burdened. And so you're desperate to find out what it meant. But look at this text today. The king and his experts they had their procedures, they had their training manuals, they had their mysterious sciences, and yet they did not know a thing. But then in prison, there was this kid, a Hebrew slave. He was a nobody in this great land of Egypt with all this mystery and, and dream sciences. This nobody didn't care about their mysterious procedures. This nobody was in fact someone who knew somebody. He knew the God of heaven who reveals mysteries. And so Joseph was able to interpret the meaning of the dreams and foretell exactly what was about to happen. And so you're all probably thinking, great, so where is our Joseph today? What does that mean for us today? Now, can we be warned? Can we be convicted of our sins through dreams? To that I say, yeah, why not? I can't ignore my experiences. But that's not the question we need to ask. The question we're asking is this. Does God reveal himself to us in dreams? Does God reveal his character, his plan, his purpose for us in dreams? Hebrews 1 gives us the answer by explaining that God, he used to use all kinds of means and methods to speak his truth. But now he has spoken finally and he has spoken fully in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says specifically that the revelation, the revealing, the exposing of Jesus Christ is the mystery which was kept secret in the past ages and now has been known to us. And then in the book of Colossians, it says that in Christ are now hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where are you looking, folks? Who are you looking? Who are you looking for? What happens if you dream now? Let's say you have a good one or a bad one. If you have a bad dream, wake up, get off your bed, kneel, repent, pray, and dive into the Word of God so that the truth of God would direct you. You get that? 
If you have a good dream, then good. High five. You didn't have a nightmare. Be happy. But do you know how foolish it is to approach people and say, I had a dream about you. I had a dream about you, and you did this, and you need to do that now. Do you know how foolish it is to call people out from a dream you had? You know, it was only when I got married, I realized <laughs> my wife, she woke up from a dream, from her slumber, whatever, and she goes, I'm so mad at you. <laughs> and I said, oh gosh, what do I do? I know, I'm sorry, I'm always, I'm apologetic. I was like, I'm so sorry, I should have done this or taken that out. Or she, was, she goes, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, oh gosh, I said something now. What did I say? And she goes, no, no, you see, it was in my dream. I was like, patience, David. Listen to her. You're a pastor. It sounds kind of funny right now, but we do this. We do this. I've been in the church scene long enough to witness and actually be at the receiving end of someone's undiscernible dream. I pray that the only conviction you receive comes from the Spirit of God who has revealed His truth through the Word of God and not just through dreams or visions. So if you had a dream, get this, if you had a dream about someone, the only thing that you need to do is shut up and pray for them. You hear me? Pray for them. That's it. Just pray for them. Do you know how many dreams that I have had about my members? So many, too many to count, but I will never approach them or call them out. Instead, I will pray for them. Brothers and sisters, that is your job too. You find something unsettling. You experience an unsettling dream. Good, fine. Wake up and pray for that brother. Pray for that sister. Say, God, I don't know what this means, but you do. And if this means that this person is in trouble, God, I pray for protection. I pray that the Spirit of God would surround them, lead them, empower them, equip them. Do what you got to do, Lord. Because, folks, the revelation of God is not just some obscure verse that we find in our sacred book. The perfect revelation that you think that, that, that we're looking for was through the appearance of his son in human flesh. How awesome is that? That the mysterious, get this, that the eternal, that the incomprehensible word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was seen, he was touched, and he was heard. God is not in the business of confusion and creating more abstractions in our lives. God is all about revealing truth, and that truth was revealed in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. You want to know truth. You want clarity in your dark and confusing life. Press on deeper into Christ. That's it. You see, the world rejects the idea that Jesus is the only, the only embodiment of God's revelation, which is why the world is constantly looking for hope anywhere and everywhere else. That's why they're all into self-help books. They're looking for themselves in adventure. They're looking for some sort of purpose in sex and in money and accomplishments and in happiness. But the only hope that we can have in our, for our future can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus is God's final and perfect revelation to the world. There's nothing else you need, nothing more. Nothing less. Jesus is it. Joseph, he didn't care about the different types of interpretations that people could do or the dreams that they have had. He didn't care about their procedures and their pursuit of these mysteries. He didn't care. 
Because he knew the God who controlled the future. And folks, if God is in control of the future, then we shouldn't be concerned about our future. Don't be so burdened by the uncertainty of your future that you forget the things that God wants you to do right here, right now in the present. Okay, so why can this passage just stop here with the fact that the dreams were interpreted, that Joseph was ultimately discovered and, and placed in a lofty position? Let's talk about the details of this dream for a second here. And this is my last point. God, his word speaks life and death because God's word is our judge. God's word speaks life and death. You know, there was a Christian slam poet. Um, many years ago, I saw this, who said this one thing, and really stuck with me, and, and this, this is a paraphrase. He said this, people are always wanting the Psalms when they really need Romans. <laughs> Do you hear that? People are always wanting Psalms, because it's nice and fuzzy but they really need Romans. Now, that was a paraphrase, but in essence, what he was saying, I think, rings true for a lot of Christians. We only want the nice things of God's word, the comforting messages of God being our shepherd and leading us down to lie on green, in green pastures. That's why shopping at Christian bookstore like Lifeway will only display things that are upbeat, things that are encouraging, things that are unoffensive. You know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna, you know what verse I'm going to put up in my home once my kids get older? Leviticus 29. If anyone curses his father or mother, he must be put to death. <laughs> but no. Instead, we prefer a little angelic figurines named courage and joy and happiness. We have plaques and wall decor that says only one aspect, one facet of God's word. But the Bible presents God's words much differently. You see, the Bible is called a double-edged, two-edged sword, according to Hebrews chapter 4, 12, which penetrates and divides even our thoughts and the motives of our hearts. And the word is also called a hammer and a fire, according to Jeremiah 23. And that's what we learn here in this Egyptian prison. The cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. And by God's grace, he received a wonderful interpretation. In three days' time, he'll be restored back to the king's court, back to the king's service, back to the king's grace. And life will be just filled with blessing and goodness and grace. And how awesome is that? So in verse 16, when the baker heard those good words, he was like, man, that's spot on. I, I want to hear some good news for myself. And so Joseph told him, and instead of freedom, instead of life, the interpretation given to the baker was a message of judgment, a message of death. Instead of freedom and life, it was a message of condemnation. So let's bring this back here. Joseph here was a picture of Christ because Christ is both life giver and coming judge. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is qualified for such a task? Hear me out. To those who admit their brokenness, who admit their weakness, they are the ones who know that they are in need of a Savior and receive Him in faith, it is to them that the name of Jesus is the sweetest name ever. 
But to those who can't admit, are unwilling to admit, are too prideful to admit, to say that they are broken, to say that they are weak, that they are without sin, these are the ones who reject him. These are the hearts that remain unchanged, regardless of how tolerant they might be. Ultimately, everything about Jesus stinks to them. He is an odor, a foul stench that needs to be removed. And this is not a proposition, folks. This is the nature of how Christ is presented. This is the nature of God's word. To some, he is the sweetest perfume of new life. And to others, he is as threatening as the foul order of plague and death. I end with this. Folks, remember, whatever your situation is today, take heart Because we know God has not forgotten you. In fact, he is growing you. You know that? He's equipping you to serve and to love others. But also know that only God can reveal the mysteries of our lives. And it's not about finding out what will happen tomorrow, but more about do you have Jesus today? You hear me? If you have him today, then no matter how dark your tomorrow may look, in Christ, God will hold on to you, and he will walk with you through that storm. And lastly, the interpretation of dreams from Joseph was a sober reminder that God alone holds life and death. I pray that even now, as we are hearing this message, rather than having a heart of anger and callousness at what was being preached, that right now, we would all experience the inexplicable joy of worshiping Jesus who brings such sweetness to our souls. May his name be like honey on our lips. Amen? Let's pray. Please take a moment now, as you've heard the word of God spoken, that you would receive hear, be convicted, but ask the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, to illuminate the parts in your life, the things that you're thinking about right now, the feelings that you have perhaps, the things that are just warring against the truth of God. That God, break that down. I want to humbly submit and surrender to your truth today. Is Jesus your all? Is, Is he your all? Take a moment and pray. Take a moment to just reflect and meditate on what you've heard, and then we'll go into our Lord's Supper. Let's pray right now. We thank you for this moment, this opportunity to pray. And Lord, we now look upon the example given to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I read, for I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, who are we to have received such grace? And there is absolutely nothing about us that could have earned it. Which is why, Lord, we thank you that you alone, you alone, Lord, receive all worship and credit. It is by your love and your mercy, by your kindness and your grace, that you have plucked us from our pit and saved us. And Lord, we thank you that it's not us, it's not me or anyone here 
who's holding on to you, but rather you are the one holding on to us. And so God, we thank you for your amazing, sovereign love. And Lord, today we simply want to give you thanks in your desire to send your son to die on our behalf. But at the same time, God, it brings us tremendous sorrow knowing that it was our sins that led to this great sacrifice. But as we partake in this, Lord, we acknowledge the fellowship that of those who are partaking as well, that this is a community, this is not just a group, but this is the body of Christ. And so we express a desire to live like the body of Christ in a manner that's worthy of your great sacrifice. So help us to live, Lord, in pursuit of holiness and obedience and making Jesus the end all be all. God, you are everything to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Please join me.